The 2023 Formula One season has officially wrapped up and turn one is here with your season wrap up. But before we get into that, I wanted to say thank you so much for sticking with Turn One in our new podcast endeavor this entire 2023 season. Uh, we started this, I think, four or five weeks before the start of the year and have gone all the way through. And we appreciate all of our subscribers, everyone that's liked and commented on our videos and everybody that's watched all of our content that we put out so far. I will say we are launching season two of Turn One sometime late January. I don't know if we have the exact date yet but we're going to have all new content, more content. It's going to be released earlier in the week so that every F1 fan has more of a chance to get their F1 fill throughout the week leading up to every race. But we are super excited to bring you an all new set and way, way more turn one F1 content. Guys, we're going to continue to drop content throughout the break. It's not going to be as many videos as we typically like to put out during the actual season, but we will continue to be busting out at least one episode a week maybe more if we do decide to do the gaming or just the educational stuff but stay tuned for that and if you have any ideas or videos that you want us to see us make comment on these videos and with that we'll get into it welcome to turn one a formula one podcast and Jeremiah. Welcome back to Turn One's recap of the 2023 Formula One season. We're your hosts, Thomas and Jeremiah. As we mentioned at the start, thank you for sticking with us for the our first year covering Formula One as a, as a podcast venture. Uh, we certainly appreciate it if you'd hit that subscribe button or if you're listening on any podcast site, go ahead and following our podcast feed. Like me and Jeremiah mentioned, we're going to have a lot more content coming your way over the next couple weeks and certainly throughout the 2024 season. We've got a lot planned for this uh, this outlet. This podcast is going to be not different than our previous ones. We have a couple of different styles of, of shows that we'll do. Some of them are not scripted, but a little bit more fact and information based. And we like to dive into topics that we've done a lot of research on. Therefore, we know what we're talking about. Some of our shows that we've done, we just kind of talk freely about whatever the topic is at hand, whether it's a race recap or preview, talking about situations that came up with drivers throughout the year, right? Like Liam Lawson's quick rise and Daniel Ricardo's injury, things like that, where we just like to talk about it. This is going to be one of those episodes where we just want to look back at 2023 from the perspective of two Formula One fans. We're by no means experts or knowledgeable on every single thing. But we have done research all year long and, and dived into things. So we have a couple of different things we want to talk about. But Jeremiah, where does 2023's recap start with you? Uh, I think the recap needs to start probably with the end of the season, just the 2023 Abu Dhabi race, just so we can talk about kind of the season's end. And then we can rewind and kind of see how all of this happened. You might real quick, you might have missed. We we didn't have an Abu Dhabi <laughs> recap. <laughs> Uh, we have, uh, over the past couple of weeks, battled holidays, vacations, illness, 
and uh, it it culminated to us finally being able to put this recap together, and, and this is what we're bringing today. But uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit Abu Dhabi. What do you got? I mean, Abu Dhabi came down to basically a couple fights for points in terms of the Constructors' Championship. The drivers was pretty much set in stone. We did see some movement on that. Fernando Alonso was able to lock in fourth in the championship at the last minute there, squeezing out the Ferraris and uh, everybody else that kind of started to get stronger nearing the end of the season. Ferrari and Mercedes were in a battle for second in the Constructors' Championship with uh, Charles Leclerc finishing second in the race. But, you know, that battle is actually a little bit more intense than I like to lead on because he actually has this little back and forth with George Russell. And essentially, I mean, Carlos Sainz was pretty much not in this race because he was all the way back and hoping for a safety car because he went from hard tires to hard tires. So he was kind of irrelevant. Lewis Hamilton took some early on damage, wasn't really able to cut his way up the pack. So he was kind of irrelevant. This really boiled down to if George Russell was going to be able to do the thing with Charles Leclerc. Now, what we did get to see was with Charles Leclerc in second, we saw Sergio Perez working his way up the pack, and he started to get up towards the end. We see him overtake George Russell, but he's given a five-second penalty for a collision that he had earlier on with Lando Norris. And essentially what this boiled down to is now he needed to get five seconds up on George Russell, which would have given Sergio Perez third in the, drivers, or third in the race, George Russell fourth, and Ferrari second in the championship. So to do this, we saw Charles Leclerc kind of hoping to, you know, give Sergio Perez a little bit of DRS, a little bit of slipstream, hoping that we could give everything out of this race so that we could get George Russell in the fourth. That doesn't end up happening. George Russell lands that third place spot, manages to keep himself within five seconds of Sergio Perez and Mercedes takes second in the championship. I mean, the ending was crazy, too, because Charles was coming on saying, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? You had Carlos coming on saying, uh, Ricky, I'm a bit lost. What are we supposed to do for this race? And it's just, it was like Lewis Hamilton was stressing because he didn't think that he was fast. And Toto was like, no, 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 Lewis, you're quick. You're the fastest car on the track. It's just a whole hodgepodge of information and stuff that happened in between this little Ferrari and Mercedes championship battle. So I, I like how, how Jeremiah here starts at Abu Dhabi as we look back at 2023, because what we're going to cover in this episode really is all events that culminate in Abu Dhabi, right? Obviously, Red Bull ran away with the thing this year, right? Max Verstappen almost swept the season and, and had first clinched six races before the year ended. But Abu Dhabi was a critical battle for a lot of places on the Drivers' and Constructors' Championship chart. And we talked about this a little bit in our, our race previews and recaps leading up to Abu Dhabi, where that fight for second was wide open between Mercedes and Ferrari for a long time. And one of the craziest stats, just as you look at this, and it's not really that crazy, but if you would show somebody blindly and ask them where to pick where these two teams would finish, I think they'd be flipped. Mercedes, zero wins eight podiums, Ferrari, a win, and nine podiums, yet Mercedes finishes three spots ahead. Whenever you're watching Formula One, the biggest struggle that I think that I think we had and a lot of fans have is you see Max running away with every single race, right? And you're like, this is boring. He's winning all the time. It's not about that, right? It's not always about the winner or even second or third. Sometimes the most critical battle is the battle for fourth, the battle for eighth the battle for ninth, right? Because if you're Mercedes and Ferrari, Ferrari had one more podium than Mercedes and a win, but yet Mercedes made their points count. 
if you fight for one spot in one race, that could be that three point difference at the end of the season. And that's what we saw play out between Mercedes and Ferrari throughout the season. And that's also where we saw, I don't want to jump too far ahead. Aston Martin started the season hot, but there's a big difference in finishing both drivers in the top six, every race and both drivers finishing five through 10, every race. I find it funny how this championship battle for second ended with George Russell being able to keep Mercedes in that second spot. When in hindsight, if George Russell had just had a more consistent season, Mercedes would have ran away with it. Just saying, we'll talk about that more in the season wrap up, but I just find that hilarious. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into George for sure. But I think Abu Dhabi was kind of a, a good wrap up to the season. Cause again, you had Verstappen run away by what? 18 seconds or some such. He was just <laughs> gone. It, it, it doesn't matter. So you had that. I, I did like seeing the resurgence of Sergio, not the entire back half of the year, but the last couple of races, Sergio has been back in a competitive form rather than finishing, you know, in the lower top 10 area. And then, of course, you had the McLarens up there battling for top five spots. So I, I thought that was a good wrap to the season. You also get to see Yuki finish up there in the top 10, which, hey, you know, we root <laughs> for that guy, even though he's he's struggling a little bit. And then, of course, you had the Alpines finish right in the middle, which... That checks out. I want to pay homage to Fernando Alonso here for securing seventh in that Abu Dhabi race because by getting seventh, that tied him for with points or tied him for points with uh, Charles Leclerc at two oh six. But because Fernando Alonso had more podiums throughout this season, he secures fourth in the drivers championship in that Aston Martin that was nowhere last season and even fernando was in alpine which was nowhere last season lando norris finishing with 205 and carlos Sainz finishing with 200 so this battle was super close i mean it could have been anyone's game for that spot i wonder i don't know if he was frustrated all year and maybe i need to go watch more fernando alonso interviews but the way that they started the season versus how they finished he had to be a little stressed because they started so hot. Right. And he was, he was, I'll say easily able to get podiums. He wasn't competing with Red Bull, but he was far ahead of the rest of the pack. And then suddenly the lights went out and suddenly he's down where Alpine is every single race. And there's nothing he can do about it. But those last couple of races, he did what he had to do. Dude, six podiums in the first eight races in that Aston Martin that finished like seventh or eighth last year in the constructors championship unreal i i will give you a lot of credit so this isn't the episode where we're going to go back and, and pick apart our early predict we did two sets of predictions we did a preseason prediction and then we did like a three race three race in prediction <laughs> and jeremiah had really studied a lot of the testing and the practices that they were doing and and you called it you said aston martin is a contender this year uh, now, granted, as the season went on, they weren't a number one or two contender, but early in the season, yeah, they were. Before teams oh. rolled out upgrade packages, before things changed a lot in the season, uh, I was like, man, they came out of nowhere. And Jeremiah's like, no, they didn't. If anybody <laughs> just watches what they're doing, you would know that they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna be great. Because I think I think I put them like I moved them one up from where they were last year. So if they were seventh last year, I put them at like sixth this year, and I was like. That's enough improvement for one year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start looking at 2023. Probably the easiest way to look at this, instead of, we won't go back through every race, but let's talk about the constructors. We'll get into the drivers and kind of what we saw out of these teams throughout the year. We won't spend a lot of time on Red Bull because the, 
I mean, we might, but the conversation essentially is they dominated this whole year. And there's going to be an argument that comes up now where, you know, what's the more dominant season this season or the 88 McLarens, you know, they both only lost one race. I think you got to say 2023 Red Bulls, the most dominant formula one season of any team. I mean, it's so many races, but you only give it to them because of the fact that there are so many more races than there were back then. I think they were running either 16 or 18 races back then. And now it's like 23. So that's why you're going to give it to Red Bull just because the percentage is higher. But in reality, that MP4-4 McLaren was so fast in comparison to everybody else. And on top of that, the driver comparison, I mean, yeah, they had Max Verstappen, which is the greatest of all time today, currently for this season, but their secondary was Sergio Perez. So then you look at the McLarens of back then, and they had two top contender drivers. That's a debate that's going to be going on for years to come, but I love it. I love that they this were even the, able to be, make a season that put them in that conversation. This is the the LeBron Jordan argument they played in different eras they have different championships the stats were different because the play style was different who's really better i just look at and it's it's biased too right so if we were a fan back when mclaren had their run we're probably like if we were if we were our age back in 88 we're probably sticking with mclaren being like that was the most dominant run but because this is the time that we're watching and i see how great verstappen was every i had even if he started in 18th, I had no doubt he would win the race. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, but, that's insane. He could start by 18th and win by 18 seconds. I mean, it was just unreal. And, and let's look at the team a little bit, because Red Bull did something this year that I don't guess me and you are too, too familiar with. So every year, the teams do their testing, and they bring a car out to that season that they think is going to be competitive. But they tweak, they modify, they do some minor upgrades, and then, like, once or twice a year, they'll do a major upgrade package, right? Like they'll bring a new arrow package. They'll, they'll overhaul something. Red Bull didn't really do that this year because they said, you know what? This car's good. We're going to focus on next year. And they did that like seven months ago. In fact, the only upgrades that they brought to this year's RB19 were things that they had been working on for next year's car that they thought, oh, maybe this will work for this year's car. Let's toss it on and see what it does. And they were all minuscule, minuscule upgrades in comparison to like McLaren building a brand new car or Mercedes finding their pace, Ferrari finding their pace, what have you. Just well, remember Ferrari. Ferrari completely overhauled their floor uh, pre Monaco, or right after. Right after Monaco, they completely overhauled their floor. Um, I, it almost scares you. I, I don't know how the teams think. They're probably not scared, especially if you're Total Wolf. But if you're seeing that that Red Bull's already focusing on their 2024 car two two weeks into 2023. <laughs> And their 2023 car was this good? How good is that Red Bull going to be next year? Is is next year going to be another blowout year? Or are these other teams going to figure it out and we're going to have some competitiveness? I'm really interested now to see the, the preseason testing and all that when they first roll out their first iteration of these cars. Because if Verstappen and Perez are just out there cooking people by 30 seconds, it's like, all right, well, who's getting second? <laughs> Okay, let's uh let's stick with Red Bull for a little bit more, but they did go one and two in the championship. Of course, there was some thought that they might not, because again, Sergio he fell off. I, I was trying to think yeah. of a lighter way to put that, but the the dude wins two races in the first half of the year and then just 
not that he falls out of contention or out of the top 10, but he started having a lot of recovery drives. Remember he would start 16th and finish eighth and his qualifying was horrible. (laughs) What do you got? I feel like the only other thing you can really say about Red Bull is that if you added Mercedes and Ferrari's points together, Red Bull still wins by a lot. <laughs> you know, that that's another crazy thing about Formula One. So you look at their points. What is it? 860 points for Red Bull. I wish you could compare that across Formula One areas because they're, they they did put the little graphic up on the screen whenever Red Bull passed whenever most points ever in Formula One. That means nothing. <laughs> they changed it up. They added races, so those points they added sprints. Yeah, they they've changed it so much, so you can't compare points. And so I don't really like that as a stat. But when you the stat that you look at is exactly what Jeremiah mentioned. Mercedes had 409, Ferrari had 406. You combine those for 815, you're still 45 off Red Bull's <laughs> number. You're two, you're two race wins away <laughs> from Red Bull's total, which is absolutely oh, insane. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, we won't list, obviously, all the records that Max Verstappen broke, but obviously this is going to go down as one of the most dominant F1 seasons of all time. And he's he's now, not that he already wasn't, a Hall of Famer F1 driver, but this season just submits him as one of the best of all time. Even if he was to hang it up this year and never race again, he would be remembered for a long time to come. Agreed. Now let's move to the team with a guy that does have somebody who's going to be remembered for a long time to come already. Mercedes. What did you think about their 2023? Uh, It felt, it felt one-sided. We already talked about this a little bit in the Abu Dhabi kind of, I guess you can call it a recap, the little couple minutes we spent in Abu Dhabi there. But George Russell's inconsistency throughout this race, he had pace. He was going for more like a young Max Verstappen approach where he was being very abrupt in all of his racing. Very pushy, I guess you could say, as he kept trying to push his way up the pack to get higher and higher in these uh, races. But at the end of the day, between the crashing out and you know falling back in the middle of these races, he just seemed like he wasn't on pace with Lewis Hamilton all the time. So, I mean, if you're looking at the actual Drivers' Championship and you look at the difference, Lewis Hamilton finishing third with 234, George Russell finishing eighth with 175. That point differential should say everything. I mean, when you're looking at Charles and Carlos, they finished six points off of each other. When you're looking at, obviously, you can't really look at Red Bull because, you know, Max finished 300 points more than Sergio. But, like, typically you're going to see teammates like Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon finished four points off of each other. That's what you're typically going to see between these teammates. So when you have a gap like George Russell at 175 and Lewis Hamilton at 234, there's a problem there. And that problem is inconsistency, in my opinion. And, yes, it is Lewis Hamilton. So you're like, well, of course there's going to be a gap. But check this out. What was he? What was he called last year? What was his nickname? Twenty twenty two, Mister Consistency. Right, because he was in the top five, all but two races of last Jeez. season. Where one he retired and one he got fourteenth, but the rest of that he was no, sorry, three because Japan he got eight. So three out of all the races, only three he wasn't in the top five. From what I'm looking at, at least this year you run the same amount of races. Okay, so this year same amount of races as last year. More points available because there's more sprints. Last year, he finished with 275 points. He got 100 more points last year. Dude, this year, he was out of the top five in the first or three times in the first four races. 
Like, <laughs> I don't know what else well, to put it. And look at the second, not even the second half, like the second two thirds of the season where he's just not in the top five, like hardly at all. I mean, and again, okay, so let's say this. His style of racing as Mr. Consistency, where he's always in the top five, you're not going to win a championship being that guy. You're not. No. Fair enough. If you finish fifth every single race, you're not winning a championship. You've got to get podiums and you've got to get wins. So maybe him or his trainers or his team or Toto was like, George, we love you getting points, but if you're ever going to run this team the day Lewis steps away or retires or whatever, you've got to be the guy. And Mr. Consistency isn't the guy. So maybe this was his first crack at, they they knew they weren't going to win, right? This wasn't Mercedes year. They looked at Red Bull. They said, Red Bull's going to take this away. George, go be an aggressive championship level driver. So here's my problem. When you have Fernando Alonso driving an Aston Martin that was dominant in the beginning of the season and then just pretty much nowhere you could say, I mean, kind of somewhere in the top 10, but pretty much nowhere where it was in the two, second half of the season. And then you have McLaren, who was nowhere in the first half of the season and then somewhere in the second half of the season. Both of Lando Norris and Fernando Alonso of those two teams finished ahead of George Russell, who was in a Mercedes that was relatively there for the entirety of the season. And if you don't believe me, just look at Lewis Hamilton, who finished in the top five and top six almost every single race without, you know, a couple retirements and a disqualification or one retirement in the season and a disqualification. So just if George Russell was able to keep that kind of pace, that kind of consistency, he would have very easily finished up there ahead of the Fernando Alonso and Lando Norris, McLaren, Aston Martin. But no, he was all the way down below both Ferraris down there below a McLaren that was nowhere in the beginning and an Aston Martin that was nowhere in the end. The problem with that, that year one of him being aggressive. And I guess we could see next year, maybe he goes back to being Mr. Consistency or maybe he's aggressive again. You really put your team in a tough spot to where you are battling for uh, a standing, you know, at the end of the year. Whereas if you would have just had a couple more consistent finishes, like we're accustomed to, it wouldn't have been a battle at the end. Mercedes would have been locked into that number two spot, but it's just not what we saw. Uh, I was trying to think kind of back to the beginning of the year and how Mercedes either improved or downgraded throughout the year, but it was kind of consistent. They had their ups and downs, but there was no clear drop off. There was no clear resurgence. I don't think any specific upgrade package necessarily propelled them to the top. I think Lewis's consistency is what ultimately landed them where they, where they finished. No, ultimately the Mercedes's <laughs> upgrades were pretty consistent throughout the year, keeping them pretty much on par with where they've been the entire season. They brought a couple, they brought a new uh, floorboard, they brought multiple different upgrades throughout the season, but, you know, at the same pace kind of that everybody else was with the Ferrari and then McLaren bringing the super upgrades and everything else. What I'm interested to see. So you, you see this in driver survive a lot. They show Toto's kind of thoughts and behind the scenes stuff. And I do like, we, we talked about this maybe preseason before this year, maybe in one of our first shows, how Toto can flip that switch from being a, a championship uh, team principle to a rebuilding team principle and you see that kind of mindset play out on drive to survive where he goes from saying okay lewis go win the championship to this isn't our year we're going to figure out this car we're going to learn what our drivers need and we're going to go into next year he's now had two years of figuring things out is next year the year that mercedes can develop a car the correct way and put it all together and figure it out and finally compete with Red Bull? 
or is this going to be the Mercedes that we've seen this year and last year where they're just playing second fiddle to Red Bull? So if we want to see a resurgence of Mercedes as kind of a dominant force in Formula One and maybe even competing with Red Bull for that number one spot, we're for one, we're going to have to see some consistency from George Russell. We talked about that. But also we're going to have to see some development on that car because right now the way that it's sitting is it's a competitor for that second spot. Right now it's on par with the Ferrari and even on par now with the newly aged McLaren that came through in the second half of the season. But if we really want to see them take that next step, it's going to have to be in the car itself. And yes, the drivers with George Russell, we talked about that, but mainly in that car, we need that. We're going to need to see some high development in that car to get them to where they need to be. If you know anything that's going on behind the scenes, put a comment down there. If you read something that you don't hear us talk about, let us know because there's a chance we didn't read about it. Let's move on to this one. And I, 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 I hate recapping their 2023, and I'm talking about Ferrari because we've been so high on Ferrari doing well again in Formula One for the past two years. It really looked like last year Charles might have a chance out of the gate, and then Verstappen ends up fighting his way back in it and then taking over and winning the thing. And then you get into this year, and you're like, oh, this is it. Ferrari's going to – they're going to figure it out. And they didn't. And not to say it was a it was a bad year, but in terms of Ferrari standards and expectations and where you want Ferrari to be with that driver lineup and that car and that engine and everything it's got going for it, middle of the pack as a top competitor, which I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but middle of the pack as a top competitor is not what you're expecting. When you're battling for second and ultimately you lose and you get third, that's not what you want. So here's a couple stats for you. They had... So many top 10 finishes, which is like, great, we're getting a lot of points. But the problem is they had so few podiums. They had 35 top 10 finishes between their two drivers, nine podiums. That is not a good ratio when you are trying to win championships. They had a slight back half of the year resurgence. I don't know if this was attributed to the the upgrade packages that they went for or maybe just uh, some other teams fighting for each other and taking each other out of positions, but they did get seven of their nine podiums in the second half of the year. So it's like, okay, we're showing some improvement going into the next year, but how much of that is going to carry over the offseason? Does that really apply to whatever they're running out next year? Or next year, do we see Ferrari battling with McLaren and Aston Martin for fourth place? Like, wh- what's going on? Yeah, not to reiterate exactly what you just said, but it, you mean you made a good point. Last year, we see this battle between Charles and Max Verstappen, and we're thinking that, oh, this is going to be a battle between Ferrari and Red Bull for that championship spot. And then they kind of fell off as their durability wasn't really where it needed to be to keep that engine running at the highest pace, and they kind of had to turn down the engine a little bit. And so we're thinking, okay, yeah, they're going to work on their car, fix their du- durability problems, and they're going to come back this next year stronger. And then we see this kind of like you said, mediocre, middle of the pack, but at the top level uh, car. And we don't really see him battling Max Verstappen. Now, yes, you can argue, well, Carlos Sainz picked up that win. And yeah, that's fine. But that's on a track where Ferrari was actually doing well. And that's on those fast, low, uh, low downforce circuits where they just can go flat out and speed and everything, which is why we saw the speed in Las Vegas, which is why we saw, you know, Monza, Abu Dhabi. Those are tracks that suit the Ferrari car, but we need to see a Ferrari car that doesn't need to be track specific. We need to see a Ferrari car that can actually go every single track, no matter what kind of package they bring and still show some form of dominance per se, or at least comp- uh, competition for the top spot. 
and I'll be honest. So until Abu Dhabi, Carlos Sainz was Ferrari's points leader, which was unexpected, yeah. I think, from from a lot of people. And if I'm if I'm starting an F1 team, right, and I can pull from any driver pool that I want, I think I'm picking Carlos Sainz over Charles Leclerc. I know Charles ended up finishing with higher points than him, but when you look at their seasons as a whole, I feel more comfortable with Carlos behind the wheel than I do Charles, which is crazy. I just we haven't seen that we haven't seen that next elite gear from Charles. He shows flashes of it, but never consistently I'm the best guy on track. Well, if you paid attention to like the after the race interviews or stuff like that, Charles talked about a lot how he had trouble getting to grip with that Ferrari car versus Carlos Sainz, who was able to kind of get what he needed to get out of it from the jump. So we did see kind of a regression, I guess you could say, from Charles Leclerc for this season. But it's mainly dependent on the car itself. So like I said, next year, if we can see a better car, then we can see more consistency from Charles Leclerc and a better fight for him in the actual championship. We're going to do some some videos this this offseason between the two, you know, between 23 and 24. And we'll probably have to do a dive into kind of the the inner workings of Ferrari because we've mentioned it. Other shows have mentioned it. So many writers have mentioned it. But Ferrari has everything needed to be the world champion every single year. And it's just been so long since they put the pieces together. And so we'll probably spend an episode diving deep into that let's move on to one of the more interesting teams this year i'm not going to say they were the most interesting because i think aston martin was probably the most interesting but mclaren when mclaren started 2023 i was worried because they were garbage (laughs) dude in the first seven races lando norris got 17th four times that is unreal to compare to how he finished this season (laughs) <laughs> the very first race of the year, Bahrain, Oscar retires, and then didn't Lando have like eight pit stops because their car yeah. didn't work? He had a hydraulics problem <laughs> early on where he like some kind of leaking or something like that. Had to pit five times. Yeah, talk about worried. And then the very next race, you go to, to, to Jetta and <laughs> Lando again gets 17th and Oscar gets 15th. And you're like, that kid should have stayed at Alpine at this point. <laughs> I mean, really, it was such, I, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't until, uh, I don't even, yeah, Silverstone, where they showed any glimpse of hope. Again, they had some top 10 finishes where they were, they were, you know, putting it together, but it wasn't until Silverstone when they figured out, and that was halfway through the year when they turned into a competitor, I guess. Yeah, we saw Lando pick up fourth in uh, Austria and, you know, didn't really see much out of Oscar Piastri in that race as I think he gets 16th in that race. But then as soon as they get to Silverstone, their entire car is completely turned around. We see Lando getting second. We see Oscar getting fourth. And that kind of level of performance carried on through the rest of the season, luckily for them. This is what we don't know about the behind the scenes. And again, we'll we'll always say this in our episodes, but if you know how this works, let us know because that's that's our goal, right? We're fans. We're, I'm not going to say we're new to this at this point. It's been a little bit now, but we're fans and, and we want to know what's going on. When I go look at the interviews from Zach Brown, I remember one very specifically, it was earlier this year when they were really struggling and they asked Zach Brown what he thought about the prospects for the rest of the year. And he was so confident in the upgrades that they were going to roll out to that McLaren. He's like, we're going to be up there. We're going to be getting podiums. We're going to be getting... And I was like, there's no way, dude. You're at the bottom yeah. of the like you're down, you're down with like Williams and Haas right now. There's no way you're turning that into a podium car. 
And they did. And so here's what I don't know. Do the teams just have so much invested into their car before the season starts that even when they get into testing, they know it's going to be bad, but it takes so long, so much meticulous time and money and R&D to develop any upgrade packages that they can't they can't fix it immediately. They have to wait eight races into the year to turn their car around, and they know it's going to be awesome when they do, but they just can't do anything quickly. I just think it's one of those things where they had to write it out because at Silverstone, we see them bringing the revamped side pods, a redesigned floor, upgraded halo and engine cover. <coughs> Excuse me. But all of that's going to carry pace. And so we actually did get to see the McLaren kind of coming out from where they were and at the bottom of the races to now being able to be a top contender. Granted, not on the level of Red Bull, but nobody was for this entire season. <laughs> but all those crucial aerodynamic components are really what brought them back to the forefront. Like they flipped, that was the biggest flip of a switch I've seen. We'll talk about Aston Martin here in a second, but Aston Martin started out hot and then they kind of just slowly worked their way yeah, down we'll get to the them. field. McLaren started off horrible and then almost overnight they were top four team. And then as we approached the end of the season, McLaren could have been the second best constructor. Now we saw them kind of waver in a couple of the last races, but they were second best to Red Bull. They were keeping up with Red Bull. They were matching lap times with Red Bull. They were consistent. The car was consistent. It was staying on track. And I just don't know if we've seen that big of a switch be flipped uh, in our time watching Formula One for a team to go from the bottom of the pack to the top overnight. And if only that's why I say if only it had been sooner, because that interview with Zach Brown. He knew this was like two or three weeks into the season. He knew what they had was going to be great. Then why didn't you do that right earlier? You know, why didn't you do that week two instead of, and again, I guess it goes back to the R and D and the time commitment with all this, but it, they could have had such a good year if they rolled out the card that they finished with. And I know that's not how formula one works, but. Oh yeah. We could have been talking about a battle between Mercedes and McLaren for that number two spot. And it, it might have justified – so we know these drivers know things, right? I think the biggest example of knowing things is probably Fernando Alonso, him moving to Aston Martin when Aston Martin was not something you would want to move to, right? But he knew they had something cooking in that in that factory that was going to be competitive. And I wonder if that's the same with Oscar Piastri. If, if Zach Brown went to Oscar and said, hey, Alpine's going to be a five or six spot next year on the Constructors – We've got a car that we think can be in the top three at the end of this thing. You know, it wasn't just the actual car itself, though. It felt like the whole team took leaps and bounds. I mean, who had the fastest pit stop of the season? It was McLaren this year, right? More specifically, Lando Norris's crew. 1.8 seconds. I don't remember what race it was in. Gosh. The next, the next fastest was Red Bull at 1.98. So they blew the rest of the field out of the water yeah. and fast and red bull stop. is known for their insanely fast pit stops it's what they do so when you're talking about a mclaren car that got a 1.1.80 1. flat just that's insane time for a pit stop i i think that uh zach now i don't know how much at risk he was at but before this season started i i said that zach brown was on the hot seat right because you're running one of those historic f1 franchises that is it's not Ferrari, but it's the next closest thing to Ferrari oh, sure. in terms of F1, in terms of legacy and money and everything that you've got going on. And I, I really thought Zach Brown was on the hot seat, and he still might be. 
because this again, this again isn't the season that they wanted. I mean, if you're McLaren, you're going for championships. You're not going for fourth place in the constructors. But with how they finished the season, I think Zach Brown bought himself some time because not only does he have probably the two hottest names in Formula One drivers. Like again, if you're someone starting a team, Lando Norris or Oscar Piastri is on your list of drivers to reach out to for sure. But you also finished the season with arguably the second or third best car in the lineup. Next year looks promising. It really does for McLaren. I still think it's funny that we talk about Zach Brown as Toto Wolf or as Christian Horner, when in reality it's Andreas Stella that's the team principal. I know, but it's so hard to separate because he's the guy that you see talking and he does all the interviews and he talks about the drivers and he sure. talks about the car. And so I know there's a team principal behind the scenes, but again, for the average F1 fan, I don't care about McLaren's team principal because I know nothing about them. I hear from Zach Brown. He's the voice of the team. And so I, I, I want them to do well. I, I've had my issues with Lando Norris not winning races. I do think that could be kind of team related, although we have seen drivers on underperforming teams pop up and win races before. But let me ask you this hypothetical. I'm going to jump ahead. I know this is the 2023 wrap up. What if Lando doesn't get a win in 2024? Now, granted, we're talking about a season where supposedly Red Bull won't be running away with the entire thing. If that's the case, then yeah, that might be a problem, especially if since we're seeing George Russell win races and we're seeing Charles Leclerc win races, Carlos Sainz win races. So we, yeah, we do need to see Lando Norris win a race, especially since the last win at McLaren was a Daniel Ricardo. <laughs> I mean, I just, so I look at the, uh, and I don't, there's no odds behind this, but like there's, there's some mental math going on here. Sergio Perez won a race at Force India, who at the time was a maybe an Alpine level car, but probably worse. They were they were below Alpine in the standings at the time he did that. And then you look at uh you look at Pierre Gasly who pops up and wins in an AlphaTauri yeah. in a race. Like like Lando, how does it not just work out that you pulled that off? Like those are random anomalies in formula one how do you not even have an anomaly i mean we even saw oscar piastri win a sprint race yeah exactly like you can for half the distance of a race or whatever it is you could (laughs) you could be in the lead i just i don't know but i do look at their team structure i'm pumped on oscar piastri i I predicted him i think two races this year to win of course he he didn't but i'm excited about it but we'll see next year how McLaren does. I, I'm I think this year again started off really sketchy. I was worried about them, but they pulled it out in the end and kind of got the best that they could do. They obviously couldn't compete for third really with Ferrari getting 406 points, but they did stay ahead of Aston Martin, which was a pretty big jump considering oh, where yeah. Aston Martin started. Speaking of Aston Martin, yeah, where do you, where do you want to go? Uh, first of all, we need to talk about the fact that they hired the number two Red Bull engineer from last year, the guy that was working right under Adrian Newey. And that is really why you saw this completely revamped Aston Martin car that what was the specs on it? Like it was 95 or 90% different than last year's car. Like they completely dumped the previous year's car and just rolled out this brand new package. And what we saw from it was we saw basically the same kind of pace that Red Bull had and problem with that though is that it wasn't exactly what the red bull had and that's why it wasn't competing with the red bull it was like slightly behind the red bull so now you're seeing the rest of the cars they're getting their work on on uh the mercedes is getting brand new parts mclaren's getting brand new parts ferrari and they're slowly going to catch that aston martin and then pass it because just 
I had this conversation with my brother. So just because you got the number two guy at Red Bull who was right under Adrian Newey, that means that he knew what Adrian Newey was working on right then. That doesn't mean that he thinks like Adrian Newey. So right. the problem is, is that while everybody else is going to be bringing in the upgrades, he's not because he's not the one that brought the car to what it is. He's just he just knows what it looks like right now. You see this in, in football a lot where it can work both ways, but you either have a successful head coach or a successful coordinator, and then they go off and try to do their own thing without the other. And one of them was the mastermind. It's and one not of their them system. Wasn't. Exactly. And not to say that Aston's not going to have continued success. I guess we'll find out next year if he can keep up, <laughs> but at least this year they, they started off hot. And I want to look back at 2022 for a second, 2022. Aston Martin finished seventh in the constructors with a total of 55 points and did not have a single top five finish. They finished sixth on four occasions, three or four occasions. You look at 2023 and they finished the year with 280 points. What a step up from a team. And again, we said that you can't compare points across the season, but you kind of can 2022 to 2023. It's not one for one, but it's pretty close. That is an amazing jump up for a team. And, you know, they are learning that car very well. So I do expect them to be bringing upgrades to the car throughout the season and maybe even next year rolling out a new package that'll be pretty competitive in comparison to like McLaren and Mercedes and Ferrari. But that's because they they don't have Adrian Newey. They don't have him. But they do have a guy who is mechanically inclined enough to be able to be Adrian Newey's number two guy. So because of that, he has to have something. Now, he might not go the exact path of like an Adrian Newey at Red Bull, but he's going to carve out his own path in this uh, in Formula One, and he's going to go and create his own cars that are going to really make him known for what he's known for instead of Adrian Newey's path or whoever, who have you. So they, I do expect them to bring something next year that will bring them back to the competitive edge that they had in the beginning of the season. I just don't think that, in my opinion, that they're going to be on par with like Red Bull, but. I mean, that's just me. So there's a big difference in going from getting podiums and top five finishes, top six finishes between both of your drivers to getting seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 between your two drivers. And that's what slowly propelled them or pushed them down the list of constructors. So here's my theories. One, I think Alonzo outperformed the Aston Martin. Was the Aston Martin a better car than last year? 100%, no doubt about it. That doesn't also mean, though, that Alonzo can't be a really, really good driver in that car, sure. which we've seen him. We see him outperform every car that he's in for the most part. The other idea that I have is that Lance Stroll underperformed in that car. And so that Alf, the Aston Martin's true performance lies somewhere in the middle, maybe the average of the two. I don't know. Maybe it leans a little bit more towards uh, Alonzo overperforming than Lance underperforming. But ultimately, what cost them a higher result in five this year was Lance Stroll. Right. So here's where we here's where we get into the the uncertainty of how Aston Martin is run. Obviously they're primarily owned by Lawrence Stroll, who's Lance Stroll's dad, and that's where all the money comes from. What is he willing to do to get a better result than this? Because you're not gonna fire your son. You have Alonzo who's the best driver you're gonna get for right now unless you want to pay millions and millions to go steal somebody and buy somebody's contract out. 
what else can you do aside from hiring all the second best engineers to propel your car into the top three, into a championship spot? Because again, if we run this back next year, I think Aston Martin isn't finishing any higher than fourth. Because when I look at last year's standings, let's say that they had 280 points last year, they finished fourth. That's fantastic. It's not where you want to be. I find this funny. I was going back and looking at Lance Stroll's record. In 2020, when he was racing for Racing Point, he actually got 75 points. This year, he got 74 points. But he got two podiums back on Racing Point. And in a car that, if you looked at Fernando Alonso, was competing way far and above anything he's ever driven, he got zero podiums. So I just thought that yeah. was interesting. He finished 10th this year when it strolled in? Yes, 10th. And again, he finished 10th, Alonso finished 4th, so maybe the true performance of the car is 6th or 7th. But dude, you have a car that we know can perform. We have a car that we know can do well. You've got to be a better racer. You've got to quality better. You've got to take advantage of the sprint points when they're available. You've got, you've got to take all of your opportunities. And we we had this hypothetical, you know, maybe if Lawrence Stroll really does want to win it all, he should buy out another team and move Lance to that team and hire some other elite driver to race with Alonso. Because <laughs> he would have a legit chance. If you put Sergio or Carlos or, or Lando paired up with Alonso, you might get second this year. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a lot closer, that's for sure. Because you would have that second driver now working with Alonzo on getting podiums almost every single race or getting top five finishes rather than somebody finishing around 10th on average every single race. Right, and they would have gotten the massive points dump in the beginning of the season when Fernando was getting podiums. So there could have been two drivers doing that. So then whenever they did get that loss of power, loss of pace in the second half of the season, it wouldn't have been such a big hit. The other thing that's a little bit telling about Aston Martin, so Jeremiah you know, has his thoughts on them stealing Red Bull's number two engineer, we might, and again, this is all hypothetical that I guess we'll find out next year. We might have seen the first instance of what's what's the, what's the guy's name? I forget the guy at Aston Martin or Red Bull. Yeah, at Aston Martin. I know Dewey. I don't know the guy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> whoever mystery, whoever mystery engineer is, they rolled out what they consider to be a major upgrade package, maybe a third to halfway through the year. I don't remember the exact race. Somewhere around Silverstone, kind of when McLaren figured things out. It didn't do anything. It put them thoroughly behind Ferrari and McLaren whenever Aston rolled out their major upgrade package for 2023. What happened? How do you miss the mark so much on an upgrade package that you've been working in the offseason on, that you've been working on the first couple of weeks of the season on? How does Ferrari and McLaren and even Mercedes dominate you in upgrade packages? That's yeah. not a good look. Well, that's why I was talking about is that all these other teams, they have a guy that built that car. So when they're talking about upgrades for that car, they know what upgrades can work good for that car because it's their car. We're talking about a guy at Aston Martin that, I mean, essentially they built the Red Bull car. So they don't, if they don't understand fully everything in and out about that Red Bull and the development process of that Red Bull, they're not going to know how to develop it, what the next steps are, what needs improvement, what can they tweak to make it that much a little bit better. I'm I think I'm most interested in the Aston Martin and McLaren situations going into 2024 because those were the two teams that had the biggest changes, right? Aston Martin came in hot and then fell off. McLaren came in bad and then just hit a home run with whatever they rolled out with that car. 
going into next year, are they on level footing? Are they completely different again? I think both have the potential to be in the top three. I think next year there's a very realistic chance it goes Red Bull, McLaren, Aston Martin. But I also think there's a very good chance that McLaren and Aston Martin finish exactly where they are next year. By the way, I want to give a big apology to Andrew Alacy. That's the guy that they <laughs> took from Red Bull. That was the number two guy and brought him over to Aston Martin. So Andrew Alacy, congrats to you, man. You really took Aston Martin to the next level. Look here, Andrew. If you want to make it to being a name, a household name like Adrian Newey, you better put some championships on that, uh, that shelf. There's a couple people. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Let's move into kind of the bottom of the pack team. So we've covered the top uh, five constructors. Let's move into the bottom five. How fitting is it that I know there's Alpine fans. I don't know why you're an Alpine fan. Tell me in the comments why you're an Alpine <laughs> fan. I don't get it. Maybe you're, maybe you're French. But here's the deal. We've said all year long, and even before me and Jeremiah got together and recorded ourselves talking about F1, Alpine is a middle-of-the-pack team. That's what they've always been. That's what they're always going to be. That's what they were when they were Renault. No matter what drivers they have, no matter what they do, their drivers and their team and their car are always middle-of-the-pack. This year, they finished six, which is about as middle-of-the-pack as you can get outside of five. And then their drivers also finished 11 and 12. And keep in mind that we had 22 total drivers this year between the mix-ups on the team. So that puts them right in the middles of the driver standings as well. There's, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you can play devil's advocate. There's nothing to be excited about if you're an Alpine fan. I mean, if you're looking at the past Alpine, it was always Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes at the top. And then for that, it was McLaren or Alpine. And they kind of went back and forth back when they were Renault as well. So there was always that kind of fight for best of the rest. But the problem is, is that they've been surpassed. They've been surpassed by McLaren, surpassed by Aston Martin. And now they genuinely are middle of the pack. And even if you look at their drivers, I mean, they have the all-French lineup now with Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. Pierre Gasly was showing insane pace in that AlphaTauri, kind of a rebirth of his career after his Red Bull blunders. But you're looking at what he's done at Alpine, and it's meh, mediocre. I mean, we see both him and Esteban Ocon coming back with a podium. They both got third in their own respective races. But meh, for the rest of the season, that's kind of how I feel about him. So they haven't dropped down into the, and we'll talk about their 2023 season. This isn't just bash Alpine segment, but they, they haven't dropped into the lower tier team. They haven't dropped into the Williams, Alphatari, Haas conversation yet. They were thir- they were firmly planted as the sixth best team this year. There was no doubt that that's about where they were going to finish. But again, in Formula One, there's a big difference in competing for third or fourth every year, which they weren't really competing for third every year, but they were competing for fourth every year with McLaren. Now you're competing to hold on to sixth. That is a big drop-off. And if I'm looking at the Alpine team, I know they got rid of Otmar, right? They kicked him out. What else can you change? Do you... you, I don't think the drivers are the problem. I think Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon, they're not world championship drivers, but I think Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly can get you better finishes than they're getting right now. I think the car and the structure of the team at Alpine needs to be seriously reevaluated. When you look at their season, you had them retiring so many times. So there's some inconsistencies either with the strategy or with the car. You only had two podium finishes all year. 
you had barely any other top five finishes outside of those podiums. Most of the time they were finishing between eight and 12, which justifies where they finished as the 11th and 12th drivers. This was disappointing. And again, we talk about how great Aston Martin's jump up was, but Aston Martin jumping up kicks Alpine out and they've got to fix something going into 2024. I bet we're going to see some name shakeups over there if they're not already happening right now. So one of the big problems that Alpine is actually facing is their underpowered engine. If you're looking at the different engines that are offered in Formula One, you've got the Honda, Mercedes, Ferrari, and the Renault engine. And the problem right now that the Renault engine is facing is that in terms of horsepower, it's actually underpowered in comparison to the the Ferrari, Mercedes, and uh, Honda. I don't remember if it's to the, to the tune of 10 horsepower or what the actual number was. It probably might be greater, but... I remember seeing an article that distinctly talked about how the Renault is actually underpowered in comparison to the other engine manufacturers. So when you're talking about going onto the main straights of some of these long straights, when we look at Baku, where we look at Brazil, where they have these long straights, they're going to be underpowered. Vegas, they're going to be underpowered during those tracks. So they really need to be able to make it up in the corners. And if they're not able to get the aerodynamics right to make it up in the corners, they're just all around going to be slower. And this isn't a 2023 issue for Alpine. So what, what's Alpine's biggest hit been back when they were Renault was the inconsistency of their powertrain, right? right? So let's let's flash back to when Daniel Ricciardo made the big move. He was, he was leaving Red Bull because Max Verstappen was taking over as the number one driver. He's going to go lead the charge of, of uh, Renault, who's now Alpine. He complained all season at Red Bull about how, because this was back when Red Bull used Renault engines, they hated Renault engines at Red Bull. They hated them so much that Red Bull said, we're going to go to Honda and then we're just going to make our own. Like y'all stink. (laughs) We're tired of paying for this. Renault cannot go buy engines from somebody else because they're an engine manufacturer, but you've got to mix up who's making those engines. (laughs) I mean, really? I mean, this is not... They got to do something. This isn't what you want. It's not working right now. They've, and again, it would be different if we, if they were finishing, you know, both in the top 10, every race, of course, their standings would be higher. It, even if they had an Aston Martin like year, if they could have been competing with Aston Martin towards the end of the year, I would have felt better about it, but they're not co- close to competing with Aston Martin. They finished 160 points off of Aston Martin. You're nowhere near them. Right. And you were never near winning a race. You were never near getting consistent podiums. Now, granted, they didn't have a big rise or fall. I guess they were consistently mediocre. But again, that's kind of where I struggle with the whole getting excited about Alpine's 2023 and 2024. What's there to be excited about if you didn't at least have a little surge like Aston Martin did? If Aston Martin didn't have the start of the season that they had, if Aston Martin just finished with 280 points with meddling results, it wouldn't be as exciting. It's that they started the season so hot, they gave their entire fan base a glimpse into what they can be. There was times when Alonso was keeping up with Verstappen. Do you remember that early this season? Like Jetta, they were they were close for a little bit there. And you're like, what is going on with Aston Martin? We have never seen that from Alpine this year. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you could sit here and argue that, oh, they're better than Williams, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tari, Haas. But if you're consistently every single year better than just those teams, and then you're never better than the other teams ever, ever, never, ever for any other season ever, 
it can, and even McLaren was exciting to watch because yeah, they stunk at the beginning of the season, but then they had this surge at the end of the season where they started climbing the ranks and getting better finishes, better finishes, and ultimately finishing higher than Alpine, even though they started out the season below Alpine. And you've got a couple things working against you if you're Alpine. So 2023 is one thing. You got sixth place. That's not what you wanted, but you know what? Fine. Aston Martin had a good year. You start looking down the road, and of course, we'll get into more of this as the season approaches, but you've got um, Williams, who Alex Albon is showing a lot of promise, and obviously they want to see things out of Logan Sargent. You've got AlphaTari, who's got Danny Rick, who's clearly trying to do something. And then you look at Alfa Romeo, who is going to be partnering with uh, Audi here in a couple of years. They're going to want some kind of results out of this. So Alpine, you better figure out your stuff now, because here in a season or two, you might be passed by one or two more teams, and that's that going to put rough. you at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I mean, really, if, if you don't change anything, I think Alfa Romeo, which will be Sauber and then Audi, will will really change up the game. I think that they're going to have an Aston Martin-type year when they make that switch because they're going to come in with their expertise, their technical partnerships. They're going to come up with their people, and they're going to change the game. And Alpine, if you're not keeping up with Aston Martin McLaren at that point, then you're going to be left behind and you're going to be talked about like a Haas. You're going to be talked about like a Williams and AlphaTauri. That's not where you want to be as a major engine constructor. <laughs> it bothers me because when you talk about the investors that are coming into Alpine recently, we've seen Ryan Reynolds coming in. We talked about that. But also Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Chiefs. We see Travis Kelsey, who's a tight end for the Chiefs. Everybody is getting in on these big investments all towards Alpine from here in America. And it bothers me, man. It does because of all the teams that you could pick. And I'm sorry to say this, but you pick the most boring team well, on the grid. So so not to spend much time on this, because, again, we don't really know what their impact or contribution is yet. We could we could speculate all day long. You know, I, I think Ryan Reynolds is going to make a TV show out of it because that's what he does with his investments, which is genius. And I'll watch it. I'll watch a show on Alpine. But. Maybe that is Alpine's first step in turning things around and improving is saying we need some big money donors and we need visibility on our team. We don't want to get lost in the weeds. We don't want to be down where, you know, Haas is as a like Haas is supposed to be America's team. And they can't give an America behind them. That's really sad. So maybe maybe these investors can get America behind Alpine and that will drive performance. That will drive innovation. That'll drive making big moves. Maybe they're trying to fix it with those. Here's my problem. Money can't fix any problems in Formula One. And while a lot of people would argue with me on that, you have to remember that there's a cost cap that's now implemented into every single team. You can only spend so much on your car in the season. So what really needs to change at Alpine, in my opinion, personnel. Right. So you can change the personnel by money whipping big name people. You can get new facilities. You can build a brand new facility. And I don't think that goes against your cost cap. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, you can have all of that, and that might be more money, more money implemented from stuff like that, from that perspective. But in terms of spending money on the car and actually just, you know, like when you talk about, like, especially if you were to watch Drive to Survive back in the day, when you talked about, you heard them talking about Mercedes or Red Bull. When if there was a problem, they just threw money at it, throw money at the problems, throw money at all their problems. You can't really do that if there's a cost cap. You kind of have to have the car from the jump, and then any improvements that you do midway through the season to try and get better performance out of the car has to be well done. It has to be precise movements, well tested. It can't just be something you throw out there. Oh, that didn't work. Throw it out. We'll try something else. You can't do that because you're spending money that you don't have. Well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to send somebody to pick up the food instead of having the food catered. That's what they're going to do. That's how they're going to get around that. 
Because that's the only issue with the cost cap is that catering bill. <laughs> Let's move into Williams. So these last couple of teams, we won't spend too much time on. We're already probably at the hour mark here, but we figured this would be a longer episode. we got to recap a whole season. So here we are. Uh, so Williams, I think, is both on our list of teams that we want to do well if nothing else because alex albon we want to do well i don't have anything against williams i'll be honest i'll give williams some props they put uh what was her name claire uh they put her in charge of the whole thing or whatever her name was she was the daughter of the guy that yeah she was the daughter of mr williams and uh it didn't work and she recognized that removed herself they changed up the leadership they brought in a lot of new people they brought in new drivers. They try to get Logan Sargent for the American market. They're making moves that I really, really like. It's just not coming together this year. And and I don't want to say that everything is falling apart at Williams and the sky is falling. I just thought they would have a better season in 2023 than the 20, how many points get? 28 points that they finished with. Logan Sargent was a wild card coming into this year. He was probably put in Formula One a little early. Remember, they pushed his super license up. They He didn't win F2. He wasn't really the next in line to get a seat. They kind of rushed it. Got fourth, which is fine, but that's not usually who you see move up into F1. The, the best thing that I take away from 2023 in Williams is they've shown they can they've shown a couple of times now a couple seasons now that they can make a car that has pace now what they need to work on is the consistency of that pace it's really good to have a fast car until it explodes in a wall it's really good to have a fast car until the engine blows up it's really good to have a fast car until your driver can't figure out how to set a proper qualifying lap time and suddenly you're kicked out you know of Q1 all those things worked against uh, Williams this year. We did see Logan Sargent recently, last week or so, what get re-signed for 2024, but I think that's just a one-year agreement, which is kind of rare, at least from what I could find. So he, they're basically saying, hey, Sargent, you got one year to figure this out. We also know that Albon's contract is up next year. I think Albon's on to bigger and better things. I think 2024 is going to be the year for Williams, but let's not go too much in that. What are your thoughts on their, their 23? I liked what I saw from... Well, half of Williams, and more specifically Alex Albon, I think that he had a really great season this year. I think he really improved in a way to where he let everybody else know that, hey, he's got the confidence in this Formula One, in his Formula One seat. He knows what he can do, and he's now at the level where he's starting to black out the noise. Because whenever he was at Red Bull, there was a lot of pressure that was getting to him. He did a lot of media, and all of that really kind of got into his psyche and kind of messed with his ability to actually just go out onto the track and perform. He started implementing new tactics. Like, for example, whenever he's in qualifying, he doesn't even look at what his last lap time was or what all that is. He just goes out there and tries to be faster every lap that's all he focuses on now and all of these different tactics and stuff that's just made him a faster driver and i think that honestly i liked his performance this year i mean we saw him getting points pretty consistently 10th 7th 8th 8th 7th 9th 9th they're not even just all 10th place finishes i mean he's regularly getting above that i i would have liked it better if he could have gotten a few if any top five finishes um, I think a podium's a little bit out of reach, but a top five or two would have been really, really nice. And he had the chance. He was definitely in position to get top five a handful of times, and something would happen. He would crash. The car would have an issue. They would have a bad pit stop. Their strategy would be off. 
something would always happen that push him out of the top five. And what to be, to be even a mid tier team, a, a four five, six, you've got to have that kind of stuff in order. You know, you've got to have the strategy figured out. You've got to have the consistent car. They need to take one more leap to moving into that next tier. I think if you want to see Alex Albon finishing fifth or even higher than that, at the end of the day, he's done all that he can do. I think anything more than what he did this season is going to come down to the actual car and the actual team. I think as far as the max that you can get out of that Williams, I think we saw that from Alex Albon. And I really don't think that you can get anything else unless, like I said, they produce a better team or they have better strategy, better cars. I mean, ultimately we saw his teammates last year, teammate this year, just barely crest by throughout the entire season. We saw Logan Sargent get a point this season on a technicality because somebody got kicked out of the top 10 and it moved him up from 11th to up to, to the points. But even in the races that Alex Aubon didn't get first, we see him 11th, 11th, 11th. I mean, the lowest I think he got all season was like a 14th, 15th. But other than that, it was 12, 12s and 11s. And I think when you're looking at something like that, that's incredible from the Williams. So if you're if you're new to F1 or you maybe just at least maybe you've been watching F1 for a couple of years now, you could have been watching F1 for 10 years now and you wouldn't know. Williams is one of the most dominant F1 teams of all time, which still blows my <laughs> mind to to rationalize that. And we've, me and Jeremiah have talked about our, our kind of fan. We, we try not to have a bias on this podcast. We talk about things very black and white, how they are. If someone does good, it's praise and it's, you know, this is they're doing bad. We'll talk about that. Obviously, I lean a little bit Red Bull. Jeremiah's always leaned a little Mercedes McLaren, but he has his uh, things with Fernando Alonso <laughs> that he, <laughs> he really likes. But I don't think anything would make you and I happier than seeing a battle for a championship, maybe remove Red Bull, but a battle for a championship between Ferrari, McLaren, and Williams. Oh, dude, that would be that would sweet. be that storybook stuff. If you could have a one, two, three, or a one, two, three, four that includes those three teams, we're talking about going to the seventies, the eighties, the not the origins of Formula One, but kind of the golden era of Formula One, where you had all those driver names that you knew of Elaine Pross, you had you know Schumacher in the nineties, you like. <sighs> That if we could have a little brief return to that, and I know that's not coming up anytime soon, but maybe Williams, I think Williams is doing it the right way, right? This is what I want Haas to do. I want Haas to have young drivers, to have new leadership, to have innovative ideas. And I think we're seeing that from Williams. It's just a matter of will it actually work? I don't know. But you've got next year to see how Logan Sargent pans out. And I think Alex Albon might be on his way out next year as well for a better team if one spot opens up. We'll see what they can do next year with it. I don't know. Every year that I root for a McLaren or Mercedes to kind of bring the fight to Red Bull and win this whole thing, I'm secretly hoping that Williams climbs their way up to sixth <laughs> or fifth or something like that. Or even whenever I'm focused on who's going to win this race, who's going to win this race, I'm noticing Alex Albon in eighth, and I'm like, come on, Albon, get up there, get up there, go. I mean, it's one of those things. I love Williams. I love their story, and it's broken my heart that the fact that since we've gotten into Formula One, they've been lackluster. They've been a back-of-the-pack team. I, it would warm my heart to see nothing more than Williams back up in this thing, man. I would love to see that. 
I think we're I think we're a couple of years away, but again, you kind of do a full rebuild. You start over, you start fresh, you start putting the pieces together, and you hope that over time they just kind of line up. Because I don't know what their money situation is either. That might be it might be an issue with all these. Give me Alex Albon and Mick Schumacher. Yeah, I don't know if they could afford the damages. Um, <laughs> okay, let's move into Alpha Tari. So probably the two well. Probably the biggest name driver move of the year was was Daniel Rick uh, replacing uh, what's his name Nick DeVries. <laughs> the guy not only loses his race seat but just gets removed from the entire sport of Formula One. <laughs> what is his his Instagram still says Formula One driver or something well, like that? He hasn't posted anything on social media in quite a while, <laughs> but. Because uh, no one's looking. The story of AlphaTauri is definitely an interesting one for this 2023 season as Yuki Tsunoda has been the only consistent feature of that entire team. We see Nick DeVries taking part in the first, I would say, not even the first half because they took him out right before the summer break. But then we see uh, Danny Rick for a couple races. Then he breaks his hand. We see in comes Liam Lawson who steps in and he did great, man. He We see him beating Yuki Sonoda in all but I think one race where it was mainly just the Liam Lawson show. And kudos to him. He got points. And then we see Danny Rick come back and he gets points as he nails a seventh place finish nearing the end of the season. And so when you're looking at rolling into next year it's going to be a yuki and daniel ricardo show and i'm interested to see what happens we'll see daniel ricardo with an entire season well he'll have some time in the car my question is 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 it going to be yuki or is it going to be daniel that's going to dominate for upcoming the 2024 season at alpha tari obviously dominate is relative because we're not talking about on the on the track with all the other teams but i mean like in terms of who's going to be the better of the two drivers so looking at their 2023 season, I think AlphaTauri was underperforming as a whole. You don't expect them to be a championship contender. They're Red Bull's B team, but you also don't expect them to be the worst possible team on the grid. I think they got the car wrong. Maybe they were testing things for Red Bull. I don't know. The The Daniel Ricciardo thing is interesting. He's obviously there for a little bit. Will he try to make a jump somewhere else? Maybe. But we did see glimpses, like you mentioned, this year of AlphaTauri being able to figure things out. You see Liam Lawson step into a race seat and do okay. He got one points finish, but he was finishing around the top 10 the four other times, and then he got that 17th place finish. You see Daniel Ricciardo struggle when he took over the race seat from Nick DeVries, but whenever he came back from the broken hand, he had very similar results to Liam Lawson, right? Finishing around that 11, 12, 13 mark, jumping up and getting a seventh in one of them. So it's doable. The biggest takeaway I have, though, for 2023, AlphaTauri has nothing to do with Daniel Ricciardo, has nothing to do with Nick DeVries or Liam Lawson. It's Yuki Tsunoda. You mentioned it when you started your your little uh, thing there on AlphaTauri. He's been the most consistent figure at AlphaTauri for the past couple of seasons now. I'm sorry, you don't want to be the most consistent figure at a B team, and consistent meaning consistently not very high in the points. He actually is finishing lower in the points every single year. And we talked about this before the season and after the first couple of races this year. We really want to see something from Yuki. We talk about Yuki differently than we talk about Zhou Guan Yu. We talk about him differently than we talk about some of the other younger drivers. Yuki is in the Red Bull system. You expect greatness. And for some reason, he just hasn't been weeded out. And maybe that's because he still could be great. And maybe Christian Horner sees that. 
but I expected big things from Yuki this year. I thought he might get some podiums this year. I didn't think he'd get a race win, but hey, if Pierre Gasly can get a race win in AlphaTauri, maybe you can. And it just was nowhere near that. Maybe that was on me for setting bad expectations, but I thought we needed to see more from Yuki this year. Yeah, when you're looking at Yuki Tsunoda, my problem is we, we talked about him being the most consistent thing at Red uh, AlphaTauri, but when I say the most consistent thing, I mean the only thing throughout the year that didn't change. I don't mean his right. race performances. In terms of consistency, it's been kind of lackluster, and I'm kind of upset about that because we've seen we've seen Yuki Tsunoda have great pace for 2023. We've seen him flying up into, the, into these races, getting up into those seventh place, sixth place even. And we've seen him battling with like Oscar Piastri. We've seen him battling with Fernando Alonso. But the problem is, is that he'll end up wrecking out or he'll make contact, which will throw him back to the back of the pack. So in terms of, I would just, I would like to see more racecraft consistency out of him going forward. Cause we did not see that in 2023. So he, he started in 2021 with, uh, AlphaTauri where he got, he finished 14th and he had 32 points. Last year, he finished 17th with 12 points. This year, he finished 14th again, but only with 17 points. So half of the first time he finished 14th. But he got a lot of the, he got most of those points the last five races of the year. The last five races of the year, he finished 8, 12, 9, 18th, 8. So if you take out the last five races, and this was kind of the last time we really talked about Yuki was maybe around Japan or Qatar. He was in a position to get like 17th or 18th place on the season. Which, uh, again, I, I, we love the guy. We want him to do well. He's just not showing us what Alex Albon is showing us. Sure, their points, their point difference isn't too much, but we see those glimpses of really cool stuff from Albon, especially this year. We saw Albon do some stuff at Red Bull when he got that shot, but of course it wasn't his time yet for an elite seat uh, at Red Bull. But we're seeing those things out of him at Williams to where he's earning a top seat. I can't comfortably say that Yuki deserves any seat outside of that AlphaTauri seat that he's in. No, and we've had conversations about that off the off uh, these recordings where it's just like, I don't really see him advancing too much. And me personally, I feel like they're only holding on to him because of that Honda relationship that they still have. And so they kind of have the go-home national driver for the whenever they do go to Japan and they have the home ra- uh, racer with the home engine provider and everything else. But... I just don't see him making that step to the Red Bull seat or even even like a lateral move to Red Bull, like a like a Mercedes seat or like a Ferrari seat, or even McLaren seat. Right. I just don't see it happening. No, he would he would qualify for an Alfa Romeo seat at this point, maybe. Sure. I mean, you know, like I I don't know. Let's quickly talk about our last two teams, which is Alfa Romeo and Haas, and then we will wrap up our initial 2023 wrap-up. But again, we're going to cover a lot of this over the the offseason. We're going to look back in-depth at constructors and what they did. We're going to look back in-depth at some of the races that happened, because I, I really want to talk about some of the races this year and how they went down, because I think there's a lot to unpack that we didn't get into in our recaps. Uh, but looking at Alfa Romeo... It still bugs me that Valtteri is there uh, at Alfa Romeo because I still think of him as I still think of him as that Mercedes guy that just gets the job done. Right. I hate I hated this year, especially because it is what it is, right? You're in a car that you can't really do much in. So you just go out there and do what you can. He struggled this year more than his previous seasons. And there's not too much to talk about Alfa Romeo this season. I think they they were what they were. We'll talk about Joe in a second. I'm more excited about Alfa Romeo's future, which we can save for a different time. But what do you have on them? 
I mean, it was, you can kind of talk about Alfa Romeo and Haas here interchangeably, as sad as it is to say. I mean, you can talk about uh, Nico Hulkenberg and Valtteri, uh, Valtteri interchangeably, and you can talk about Kevin Magnussen and Joe interchangeably in terms of just performance. We didn't really get to see too much out of Joe this year. We cut, saw a couple ninth, uh, three ninth place finishes for him, totaling up to six points. You know, that's fine and dandy, whatever. Valtteri Bottas getting up into eighth a few times. That was cool. I mean, he ends the season with 10 points. You just didn't really see much from the Alfa Romeos this year. And, you know, I understand what their strategy in keeping Bottas there for is so that Joe can learn from him because Bottas is a statement of consistency. We saw him doing excellent in Mercedes, and we see him coming into Alfa Romeo. And, I mean, getting points out of a car that respectively shouldn't be getting points. Um, and so Joe Guan Yu kind of learning from him. I do like that. But we're just not seeing a lot from Alfa Romeo at all as a car, as a team, as I mean, as drivers individually. It's just it's it's lackluster. So real quick, touching on Joe, obviously we've talked a lot about him this season, just needing to step up. I don't think we necessarily saw that this year. Now that we have the full picture of the year to look back on, I don't think we saw that next level. And the biggest thing that I have to point to that is he started in fourth in uh, Hungary or something like that and uh, finished 16th because he blew the start off the line. And we talked about this in the race recap for Hungary. When you are in a low-level car, it's understandable that throughout the race, some things are going to even out, and you're probably not going to finish where you start, but just hold on and defend that position, right? Like, we've seen Pierre Gasly do that a number of times, where he'll put his car in a really good spot, maybe in qualifying or off the line, and he could just kind of defend and hang there, and that ends up getting him a spot that he wouldn't have otherwise got. Sure. Uh, the last couple of the races of the year, he was hanging around third fourth and fifth sometimes in the races and that would ultimately put him seventh eighth and ninth but hey better than no points joe when you start as an alfa romeo who's going to be next to last in the championship standings in fourth place dude you've got to hang on to that for at least until the pit stops like at least until some strategy kicks in you can't drop from fourth to tenth off the line of the race yeah. <laughs> That shows what, I mean, I know one instance doesn't make a driver, but that's kind of that clutch make or break instinct of a driver is, do you have it or do you not? Maybe he can improve. Looking at the Haas team, you know my feelings on them. I think they need to restart. I think they need to rebuild. I think they need to start all over again. I'll be honest. I don't know if Gunther's the guy. I know we love Gunther for the personality and the, the quotes and the sayings and the interviews. I don't know if he's putting together the right team for the Haas. Again, you're the American-based F1 team. You should have way more support than you do outside of just being a character. I think you got to start fresh with young drivers. You have to generate excitement. You have to show some results. What are your thoughts? I know you you, you, you at least used to love Haas. <laughs> what do you think now? I don't know, man. Part of me will always have a tie to Haas just because they are the American team, but at this point... I'm kind of feeling like they need to do an entire rebuild altogether. Maybe Gunther Steiner isn't the guy. That is a decent point. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. If you're going to get rid of one of the drivers, I would say Kevin Magnussen. Bring in a young guy, have him learn from Nico Hulkenberg. We see Nico Hulkenberg has pace. We see him having race pace. But they, they need to work on the car, man. The tire degradation is way too much. They start out at the race where they're, they'll get in qualifying. They'll get 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th. And then as the race, not even as the race goes, in the first six laps, 
it's always a Haas that pits first, always, and then they go to the hards, they're in last place, and then that's pretty much where they hang out for the rest of the race. I'm sick of seeing it. It's the same story every single race, and I'm I'm over it. I mean, I want to see something different. One of the more concerning things, especially out of Magnuson, is when Magnuson does have his car in a good spot, he's way too aggressive. We've seen that a number of times where he's in the top 10, and he tries to fight his way up the pack like he's a top five driver. When, when, okay, Magnuson, your skill might be a top five driver. It's not. Your skill is nowhere near being a top five driver. But your car is especially not a top five car. And again, when you find yourselves in those spots of outperforming where you should be, you need to find the balance between aggression and conservative and, and play that balance and not just always go aggressive all the time. Because what does he do? He takes himself out of the race. He takes his teammate out of the race. He drops position. He loses a tire. Like that's happened so many times with Magnus and even in 2023 where his aggression cost them solid points. Yeah. I'd have to agree with you. It's, it's like I said, man, it's, I feel like if they're going to do anything, Bring in a young guy, have them learn from like Nico Hulkenberg, because I feel like Nico Hulkenberg does have good race craft. He does have good race strategy, and he does he is consistently in in terms of qualifying, getting it, getting the car where it needs to be to get a good start. <clears throat> so I would I would like to say see Nico Hulkenberg stay. I'd hate to see Kevin Magnussen go, but I think changes need to be made at Haas all around. I mean, they, they need to roll out a new car. They main focus for me personally, if you don't change the drivers, change the car. That's the main focus that I would do if I was in charge of Haas. It's nothing but the car. Okay, so there is our first look back at the 2023 season. I know I've said it a couple times, but again, throughout this offseason, we're going to be releasing content that looks back at 2023 maybe certain instances certain teams certain drivers we're going to go in depth on this stuff um it won't not every episode will be an hour and a half or whatever this ends up being we'll try to get back to our more 30 to 40 minute format but of course to talk about all this stuff in one sitting we needed to have a little bit longer of a of a format i'll say again thanks again for sticking with us through our first season of formula one podcasting uh, we're going to try to release more content this offseason. And then, of course, we will announce a season two drop date. And we we have a lot planned. So we're going to try our best to to accomplish all of our goals that we have. If it if it's uh, it's really appreciated, if you hit a subscribe button or hit a follow button, depending on what platform you watch, certainly give us a comment. Give us a thumbs up. Let us know how we're doing. We want the feedback and we want to hear from you. Guys, if you think that 2024 will see Alpine climbing to the top and they're going to be the only team out there that can compete with Red Bull for that championship, I think I would agree with you and I'm right there with you. All right. Thanks for watching. Bye, guys.